Tonight's topic is loving ourselves, loving myself. Now, uh, 20 years ago, I probably couldn't have spoken on this topic. Now I've come so far that my children teasingly say to me, boy, that's the perfect topic for you, Mom, because you love yourself so much. <laughs> right, Nat? <laughs> so I'm going to start with Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, the whole law and the prophets depend. So I have a question to pose. Why did he link these two things together, love your neighbor as yourself? Was that just a nice little catchy phrase that he thought, you know, let's throw that in there? It actually speaks of a correlation that exists between our ability to love others and our ability to love ourselves. There's a very strong correlation there. It is a call to see ourselves in light of redemption, enabling us to legitimately love others and to look like Jesus. God knew, Jesus knew when he said this, that there's a place that we need to come to in how our perception and how we see ourselves that is his objective for us that thus enables us to love other people. My desire tonight is not about preaching a little be the best you message. Raw, raw us, aren't we amazing? We're just so lovable. I mean, some of us kind of do think we are kind of lovable now. <laughs> What Angie was telling me today, she was telling me, where are you, Angie? She was telling me about her journey over the last few years, and she goes, you know, I really love myself now. And she said, it's so awesome. And she goes, this is so cute. She goes, you know what? I have become such a lover over the last little. She goes, I think I love people more than you do even. <laughs> I said, you go, Angie. <laughs> I believe you. This is a call to truth that is foundational to our relationship with God. So I wanna, I wanna clarify the objective and purpose of why we need to love ourselves. And why this topic for me? Well, if any of you read my book, you know that I went through a very long period of seeing myself as valuable at all. Uh, when you know how Joe Warner, they do the whole ministry over you and the word that over me was insignificance. And just feeling like, you know, I just am not very valuable. I don't really have much to offer. I'm not very important. You know, and who am I in this world? I just had a hard time seeing myself as special in any way, shape, or form. And in that whole big mindset, it's kind of hard to receive the love of God. You know, you want to. And you, you believe God wants to love you, but you just struggle with it. You just struggle with the ability to grasp it and really lay hold of it and really live under that. And then in turn, I honestly was not good at loving other people. Uh, I'll never forget when I was young, I went in for a job interview. And um, they give you these little questions and they said to me, well, do you like people? And I'm like, ooh, I think I'm supposed to say yes here. <laughs> and so I go, oh yeah, I like people. But I didn't. 
I mean, I think I was afraid of people. I was so afraid of relationships and being rejected and not fitting in and not having, again, a place in relationships that I, I just didn't really like people. I kind of shied away except for some of my friends. And then in the year 1986, I was on the phone with my mentor, Helena Kelly, like my mother. Who knows Helena? There's some people here that know Helena. And she, I said to her, I just feel like something's missing in my life. She said, well, I'm glad you say that. She said, because I've been praying for you. And she said, I'll tell you what it is. It's the area of love. She said, it's null and void and non-existent in your life. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Good to know. And, you know, in reality, I could have got offended, I guess, and said, wow, glad to know what you think of me. But I said, all righty then. I guess that's an issue that I need to face and need to look into. And she said then, she went on to say, God is going to do a work in you that will allow you to receive his love and love him in return. The area that seems hopeless will be the most blessed. He will mark you with his love. He will tap the hard rock and living waters will come out and nothing will ever stop it. So if you see any love in me, if you say, hmm, she's a lover, it's because he tapped the rock. It's because he took something that was not even exist. I was a Christian. I was married to a pastor. And she said, there's no love in your life. But God is turning those pages. And he's writing new things on those pages. And he's been writing on me. What Mother Teresa said, I want to be the pen that God writes his love letter to the world with. And that's what God is writing on our hearts. That's why we called this conference Loving Well, because we want to keep learning how to love well. The Bible also says you are a living epistle, known and read of all men. People are reading you everywhere you go. What is the letter that's written that comes off of you? Obviously, the letter in me in the past was not so great. And I think about it. If God hadn't changed my heart, I have eight children, 15 grandchildren. I wouldn't have done too well in that role in life if God had not hit the rock and allowed his love to come forth out of me. I was recently went away for a couple days on a little retreat. I do that sometimes. And I read through 40 years' worth of journals. And I have a lot of journals. There are probably like 20 journals that I had for those years. And one of the things, my biggest takeaway, was my desperation for God to help me see myself and others through his eyes. It's a repeating theme, just going back and back. Father, I want to see you. I want to see what you really look like. I want to see who you are. And I want to see myself in light of that. I don't want to believe this stuff anymore. I don't want to have love being dead in my life. I want to be a fountain of your love. I want to be a letter of your love. I want to be a pen that writes that. And you know, all that pursuit wasn't just about my personal happiness. It was about fulfilling God's heart and living out his character in my life. No longer selfish and self-focused. I didn't want to be that way anymore. When I'm stuck in that flawed perception, and I have been there many times, and I've even been there in the last 15, 10 years, ask my family, I shrink back. 
There are times in family events where I've gone and hid in my bedroom. Stupid, but true. <laughs> I mean, somebody said something, somebody was unkind, and one of my kids said some offhanded comment, and instead of saying, that was just dumb of them, I went and cried and hid in my bedroom because I felt like such a loser and, and unwanted. And they had to come in and talk me out of my room and say, we love you, Mom, you know we love you. You know, and, uh, and the, what's ridiculous about it is I'm highly honored in my family. I am treated like royalty by my family, by my husband and my kids. But yet still, that really didn't matter. I still would run away. When I am in a flawed perception of myself, I coddle my fears and insecurities. I just think about them, and I think about, oh, yeah, I did that wrong. Oh, yeah, I should have said, oh, they probably think that about me. Oh, yeah, 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 I should have done that. When I allow that stuff to go on, it just decimates my ability to stand strong and do exploits that God wants me to do. It just knocks it out of me. I don't see others clearly. I start being critical and cynical. When I don't see myself according to God, I start seeing others that way. If I can't be kind and forgiving and gracious to myself, do you think I'm going to be that way to other people? No. When we are hard and harsh with our own self, and, you know, people don't necessarily have to see that about you. That could just be going on on the inside of you. Just like the girl I talked about earlier who had written everybody off of her life because they hurt her, they said something wrong. So she had harsh, cynical, critical ideas about other people because she did not see herself in light of God's perspective of her. I fight my own battles. I don't feel safe, and I feel like I have to protect myself. That's not where God wants us. I have fought to see his favor. I have fought to live under the smile of God. And to see people from that perspective. And you know what? It's become part of my DNA. It's how I see myself. It has become part of who I truly, truly am. Now, am I alone in this, in this dilemma? No. I'm going to quote from one of my favorite books. I love this book. It's written by a former Catholic priest. It's called Abba's Child. I've read it five or six times. And in there it says, Many Christians find themselves defeated by the most psychological weapon that Satan uses against them. It has the effectiveness of a deadly missile. Its name, low self-esteem. A gut-level feeling of inferiority, inadequacy, and low self-worth. It shackles many Christians in spite of wonderful spiritual experiences and even knowledge of God's word in many areas. Although they often understand that they are sons and daughters of God, they are tied up in knots, bound by a terrible feeling of inferiority, and chained to a deep sense of worthlessness. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. His love, which called us into existence, called, calls us to come out of self-hatred and to step into his truth. I looked up statistics and it said 75 to 85 percent of people struggle with self-rejection. 
or low self-esteem. They don't see themselves from the father's eyes, from the father's perspective. Sometimes we get fooled into thinking that those kind of thoughts are humility. Aren't we so humble? We don't think very highly of ourselves. I don't like myself much. I'm just a humble kind of person. You know, I don't feel I'm very good at much or I can accomplish much. I'm just so humble. No, you're not. That's pride. That's pride. It's actually a manifestation in pride. Humility, on the other hand, takes what God says, believes it, and applies it to our situation. It doesn't sit around sulking about we're less than. It chooses God's word, and it, it believes that instead. This is something I wrote in my journal a little bit ago, and it said, the most important lesson I've learned in my entire life is to assess my complete inability and frailty and to assess God's all-encompassing ability and love toward me in every situation and make a decision based on that. I tell people all the time, I am desperate for God. I would never stand up here. I would never be able to be a mother of eight. I would never be able to be married to Keith Tusi. I would be, <laughs> sorry, not because he's difficult, but because he's just so strong and he's, he's a go-getter. He's taken over the world, you know, and if I was little old me in the past, I'd be like, no, 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 I can't keep up with you. But I'm desperate for God. And that's an okay place to be. That's an awesome place to be. Because I know that everything I need, he's got me. He's got me covered. No matter what I face, all I have to say is, you got me, Lord? He goes, got your pen. And that's all I need. That's all I need. If we make our choices based on our flawed sense, self-assessments, we end up either puffed up or sidelined by self-debasement and self-hatred. Self-hatred is the root. Pride is the root of both of those options. Self-hatred compares, and it's just never enough. You know, we're always saying, oh, I should be more of this. Oh, I wish I was more of that. I wish I looked like her. I wish I could speak as well as her. Oh, she did better than me. Oh. But that's pride. It's not a some sense of, you know, again, humility. It's actually pride. It's ungrateful. It's never satisfied. You're never content with who you really are, who God made you to be. God made you. He formed you. No, ma no matter the, the circumstances of your conception, I remember having a conversation with my mother, who was probably the greatest Christian I've ever met, the most amazing, loving woman I've ever met. And she told me how she was conceived in a bad relationship with her mother. Then they divorced. Her father was murdered. Her mother couldn't raise her. She gave her to her grandma. She said, I guess I was a mistake. I said, Mom, you are the most amazing mistake I've ever met in my life. She impacted more people. So God knew what he was doing when he made you, when he created you. And it's a really good thing to come to terms with that and to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am God's girl. I am God's daughter. I am formed and made the way he wanted to make me for his purpose. He ha There's a verse that I speak all the time. I say, my gift will make room for me. And another one I say is, you surround me with favor as with a shield. God, your gift 
My gift that you put in me makes room for me. That's true of every single one of you, no matter what situation you're dealing with or what obstacle you have to face. God put a gift in you. He puts something in you that is unique from everybody else, and it makes room for you in this world. It makes room for you in your church. It makes room for you in your family, wherever you go. Again, self-hatred can't be generous with ourselves, so it can't be with others. There is zero virtue in self-rejection. It is debilitating and poison. Let's, let's, let's take that in. There is zero virtue in self-rejection. Abba's Child, another quote says, if pride could die in us, the supreme grace would be to love oneself in all simplicity as one would love any member of the body of Christ. Do you think God wants us, he said it in that verse, do you think he wants us to love others and not ourselves? You think so? He said, as yourself. So God wants us to love others, but he wants us to love ourselves too. They go hand in hand. If you want to do one well, you have to learn how to do the other one. Now, if we think that self-hatred or misguided self-perception is innocuous, innocuous and only hurts our own selves, let's think again. I used to quote this next verse to my kids all the time. It's Numbers 13, 33. And when they were going around saying, I'm this, I'm that, I, don't, I can't do this, I'm no good at that, I would say, Numbers 13, 33 says, we were grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And it was when... The children of Israel were going to go. God said, you know, I'm giving you this promised land. It's yours. Go take it. And they sent 12 spies in, and 10 of them came back and said, you know what? Nah, can't do this thing. And this was their reasoning. We were like little, scrawny, incapable grasshoppers in our own sight. And you know what? They became that way in their sight also. So do you realize when you exude the whole concept that you're worthless, other people can start to see that as well. Do you real, did you ever notice people that walk around with a cloud over their head and other people are like, ooh. <laughs> they feel a little bit like, ooh, I don't really want to hang out with you right now. The, the, the whole Eeyore thing, you know, it spreads. <laughs> Seriously, you know, Eeyore had that cloud and he was always like, oh, no, it's a bad day today. It's going to rain. It's... And I have met people like that, just their estimation of their self is so wrong that other people begin to view them. And that's, I know with me, when I let that spirit on me, it does become a thing. It, it's just like people around you, they step back. They're a little intimidated by that. And that's what happened to them. So the fruit of that mindset is the failure to fulfill the purpose of God for us. God had already told them in Numbers 13, he said, send men so they will spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. But that did not happen. Why? I mean, he gave a very clear mandate. He said, this is what I want you to do. This is the plan. This is where you're going. This is my objective. The self-perception of 10 men who refused to see themselves through God's eyes ruined the whole thing. 
and a whole nation suffered for 40 years because 10 people refused to see themselves the way God defined them. Numbers 14.1 says, All the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. That is the consequence of people refusing to see themselves according to God's perception of them. Great heartache, great destruction, great pain for a whole nation. So do you realize that when we don't allow ourselves, like when I see myself like a worm, whatever, this or that, my whole family suffers. The people around me suffer. There are times where I've done that thing where I've been like, ooh, I'm going to shrivel back and shrink out of this room. I'm just going to, nobody will even notice. And they're all like, oh my gosh, what do we do? That's terrible. Ruined the whole holiday. That's miserable. We ruin our, the thing that God wants us to accomplish through us. We affect everybody around us. So it's not just that I can be miserable with myself if I want. I can dislike myself if I want. I'm okay. I'm not hurting anybody else. You are. You really are. And it really does matter. Here's what Hebrews 3 and 4 says. 3.12. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. With whom was he angry for 40 years? God was angry at them. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And then he says, let's be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall after the same example of unbelief. It's an issue of unbelief. It's not just a personal choice. It's an issue that affects not only yourself, not only the inheritance that Jesus died a horrible death to give us, but it affects everyone around you. Your willingness to choose well about how you view yourself and whether you see yourself under the smile of God or not affects every single person in your sphere around you. This is a strong thing I wrote here. Refusing to see ourselves and our situation through God's eyes is a serious thing to him. It goes beyond weakness and frailty. It is an insult to his grace. Let's say that again. Refusing to see yourself and your situation through God's eyes is a serious thing to him. It, is, it goes beyond weakness and frailty. It is an insult to his grace. The greatest thing you do to please God, the greatest thing is to believe him and take him at his word. The worst thing you do is to refuse him. Think about what he paid in order for you to be lifted up and to be seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Think of what he went through. Think of the cost that we sang all night tonight about, how awesome it is. So if we sing all night about it and how amazing it is and how it did all this stuff for us, and then we go, but I'm just still a miserable worm. I'm really not on par with a lot of these people. I'm different. God says, step up, girl. Come on. Get out of that. Like Helena said to me, that's an area that's dead in your life, but God's going to strike that rock and he's going to change that about you so that you can live under the smile of God. We cannot see ourselves according to ourselves 
or according to the things that have been spoken our lives over our lives. There are many people here, I dare to say, that have had very bad things spoken over your life. Maybe by a parent, maybe by a leader, or a pastor, or a friend, or your schoolmates. I've talked to people who were 50 years old, and they still live based on what that schoolmate said to them 30 years ago about who they were and how they were just a loser, or they were ugly, or they were fat, or they were stupid, or whatever. People live under that. We cannot live under that. We must let him define us. Must let him define us. Must let him define us. Do we still need to be changed, even though we're living under this amazing smile of God? Yes. Correction is not rejection, but you will never see God's transforming correction partnered with hopelessness or self-disdain. Anytime you feel this thing coming on you of self-disdain or when, when you're feeling convicted about a sin, when you're feeling like, ooh, this is so awful, there's no way in out, there's no way, even what Diana was talking about, like just like kind of this hopeless feeling, this despair, this almost wanting to give up, that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, come on, girl, we got this. You and I, we've got this. We're going to walk free of this thing. Romans 11:22 says, Behold the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in God's kindness. There is a call on our life to live under the kindness of God. Are you going to take that call? Are you willing to live every day of your life? I used to pray when I would pray, and I'm not kidding. Again, I was in the ministry when I did this. I'd get on my knees and I'd pray and I'd go, oh God, oh God, just help me. I don't do that anymore. I go, hi Father, here I am, I'm yours. I don't do that anymore. Are we willing to continue in the kindness of God? He says, Behold the kindness and severity to God, of God to you who continue in his kindness. You receive the kindness of God. Why? Because he wants you to take what he's done for you and live in it. Live under it. Receive it. Believe it. Stop doubting it. Stop questioning it. Stop questioning whether it applies to you. Say, no, I'm in line. I'm taking this thing. I'm going after this. I'm going to live who God called me to live. I'm going to see myself the way he's called me to see myself. I'm going to get the word of God and I'm going to put it in front of my eyes. And if I have to read it every day of my life over and over again, I will see myself the way God's called me to see myself. I'm not going to be paralyzed, handicapped by unforgiveness even toward myself. I'm done. I'm done with that. And I'm telling you what, that frees you up to forgive other people so much easier. It's just like a natural outcropping. It just comes out of you. You're like, hey, if I'm so blessed and I'm so under favor, why would I ever hold anything against somebody else? If God loves me this much, I'm, I'm not going to be mad at anybody else. Why? Why would I? They go together. As you learn to love yourself according, according to God, again, not toward some psychological self-help thing, according to God's heart, then you learn to love others well. So this is critical. It's not just an appendage off to the side. It's 
critical to everything we're talking about loving well these few days. It is foundational. Let's see. So a couple things. How do I continue in his kindness? Realize that his kindness is not conditional. It doesn't rise and fall on our actions. It doesn't change when we do bad things. It's not like he's all of a sudden, all right, now you're in trouble, girl. I'm going to deal with you. It doesn't change. His kindness toward us does not change. He doesn't stop smiling at us when we fail or when we sin. Think about the best father you've ever met in your whole life or you've ever seen in action. When their child does something wrong, do they get infuriated and just rejecting and just make that child feel like horrible? No. They love them through it. They process with them. They help them. They take them by the hand and teach them the right thing to do. Be utterly okay with not being enough and being desperate for his help. Be comfortable with that. Be comfortable with being so, so needy. Take his promises at face value. Don't make any more excuses about why they don't apply to you. Be done with that. Let's be done with that today. Anytime somebody speaks about "Mm, this, this blessing of God or this promise of God, no more excuses. No more, "Mm, yeah, but I this or I that or I'm that grasshopper. No more. No more. Be done. Define yourself as the beloved. Refuse to see yourself as an orphan or as the exception. And don't ever be afraid to be changed. I wrote here, you know, there are experts on, on everything. You know, did you ever go to the Apple Genius Bar? There are experts on your little Apple computer. God is a penny genius. He knows what's wrong with me. He knows exactly how to fix it. He knows exactly how to fix me and how to talk to me in a way that I can hear him and that I can make the change that I need to change. And what I can't do, he supernaturally empowers me to do. God is a genius for you. He's your genius. He's a relational genius. The greatest way to please God is to believe him. This conference is about loving well. We cannot if we're not radically committed to seeing ourselves from his perspective, which is loving kindness. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The more you see yourself in his eyes, the greater lover you'll be. So I'd like to ask us to consider, we're going to have a prayer time in just a minute. And there are four corners that we're going to offer prayer in. You don't have to just go to one. But in the whole corner of the forgiveness and repentance one, there's a couple things that were in my heart when I was thinking of that. And one of them is really letting go of unforgiveness toward yourself, wrong ideas, wrong perceptions, just believing a lie and just being handicapped and tied back and and just tied in knots by it. Just saying, you know what, from this day forward, I'm gonna stop saying those things about myself out loud. I'm gonna stop saying them to other people. I'm gonna stop thinking them when I look in the mirror. I'm going to start speaking life over who God made me to be. You didn't make yourself, did you? He made you. So that's one of the things I had in mind. The other thing is, Like Diana spoke of last year, people came, 
that had unforgiveness toward others. Excuse me, some of it may have been subtle. They may not have really even fully realized it, but then God put his finger on it and said, well, hey, you've been avoiding this person for a really long time. You haven't spoken to them for two years because they kind of annoy you. You know, things like that. Some people, like she said, taken on offenses where maybe something has happened to your friend in a church situation or, and you've got offended at the person you think did that or caused that. I believe God really... You know, that whole verse about, I wish, I, I desire for us to have a pure conscience with both God and man. I mean, that's how I want to live my life. I slip out of that place plenty of times. But we want to strive to have, that's what he said. He said, I strive to have a pure conscience with both God and man. So we're going to have a corner for infilling of the Holy Spirit. If you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues, we're going to have a place where you can come and pray, and people are going to pray for you, and they're going to walk you through that. Sometimes, I know every, most times I've prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've had to give them instruction. I've had to pray alongside. I've had to coach them in being bold in it. So if you've never had that happen in your life, then there'll be a place for that. There'll be a place for healing. And we're believing God for impartation and supernatural healing. There'll be a corner for the prophetic. Again, we're believing that God is going to use people to speak a word from heaven over your life. And then there'll be that corner for forgiveness and repentance and where you really want to get anything. You know, again, we had these prophetic words about turning pages, new assignments, new destiny. We got to lay this stuff down. We don't want any weights or hindrances, right? We want to be free. We want to walk out of this place feeling the weight of the world off of our shoulders, right? No accusation against your life, none, right? So that's what we're going to do.